listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chipmon, it's a Friday. We're both alive and we're recording a podcast. What could be better? I don't know that it could be any better. It could be Saturday in football season. Or Sunday and NFL, NFL games are coming on, I guess. That's right around the corner, though. We're so close. Yeah, it won't, won't be long now. So the season of anticipation is what we're in. <laughs> you know, everybody's zero and zero. Everybody's got a shot and spot the ball and let's go. So it won't be long now. But speaking of it not being long, last week we talked about that point, John, with families where you're in that zone of now it's time to go to college and make some of those decisions and figuring out paying for it. And we talked a lot about that last week. This week, we're going to get into a little bit, just kind of look at things from a little different perspective and try to look at kind of maybe what some of the trade-offs are, who's holding the debt, those kinds of things. So what are some of your kind of recap takeaways from the last couple of episodes? We all start out with the idea that there may be one path, or you may assume one thing for your student or you may assume one thing about your parents and their goals for you. But as we kind of get through this process, it's important to remember that there is not one path for everybody. Everybody's a little bit different. And so whether or not we choose the four-year path or the community college path and transfer or the trade school or graduating from high school and finding a job and getting some credentialing and just going out into the field and doing it, whatever that choice is, it's perfectly fine we can help you plan to get there and figure out what the hurdles are that you need to cross. Figuring out what path is right for you is how to start and then figuring out how to pay for it is the second step. And then some of the other common questions we get, which kind of takes us into this episode is everybody in some form or fashion can feel like they're on their own or that their situation is entirely unique and nobody else's situation that's like theirs. And it's important to remember And I think you might have talked about hive mind on the last episode or one of our previous calls where it's important to remember that we're all in this together. We're all kind of making these similar decisions over time and that it's interesting to maybe take a look as much as we can at some of the data. And one of those surveys that was done, the Laurel Road survey is done every year. They look at parents of college students and college students and they survey them, ask them questions. And so we took a look at some of those results and I thought it might be interesting to go over some of those today in today's show and just kind of talk through what everybody goes through in the way of making these decisions and making the right decisions for them. Yeah. Having looked at the survey, one of the things that really struck me as interesting, because again, looking at these kinds of things can help you understand that you're not alone and can also give you different perspective. One of the things, John, that I thought was interesting was 75% or more than 75% of parents actually put their kids' education before their own needs. And I've had this conversation a lot with parents who are in kind of that sandwich generation. You know, their parents are still alive. And in some cases, 
They're trying to help out with that. They're worried about their own retirement and they're worried about their kids. And I think that the mindset with a lot of people is I can delay some of the things that I want, or I can do without some of the things that I want, but certain things, there's a path by which we typically follow. You graduate from high school and you go to the next, whatever the route is. And once you have kids or grandkids, that clock starts. Now we've talked some about the gap year and some of those kinds of things, but it's unusual. That typically starts a timeline, roughly 18 years from which decision time comes on on what that launch looks like into the young person's next phase. So I thought it was really interesting that 75, 80% put their kids ahead of themselves. What are your thoughts on that? That's conceivable. I can see that happening. You definitely want the best for your children. You have children. I have one child. You and I both want the best. And I don't think there are other parents out there that are much different from that. I think some of the other interesting takeaways in that same vein are that four out of five parents believe that having a passion towards what you're doing is more important than the earning potential of the career path that you choose, which can sometimes seem different because I think a lot of the conversations in the household have to do with, you know, you want to get an English degree, for example, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to make money with that? And sometimes the conversations can turn towards earning potential, but I think it's important to keep in mind that your parents do when they say they want the best for you. I think they want for you not only something that pays well, but also something that you're interested in. And there is sometimes a trade-off for that. And I think parents also believe now more than ever, because we've seen college expenses go up exponentially over time, is that if they are going to make sacrifices for themselves to pay for their children's college expenses, that doing so gives their children the freedom to go after that career passion, go after that something that'll make their life meaningful, make what they do meaningful to them, to their families once they have it. And so I think that's one of the reasons why parents are looking at making sacrifices for themselves in order to see their children do what they want to do and not necessarily do something because they have to do it and have no choice. So, John, was there a little bit of PTSD in that conversation about the English degree? Did I I pick? I mean, (laughs) that that seemed close to home. Man, I had that conversation so many times. And my answer was, well, I'm going to do with it whatever I want. And so I did. And I ended up not doing anything remotely. I mean, I guess some of the things I do are related to English, meaning typing up a well-worded email every now and then or, or writing a book. Look, we wrote a book together. I'm sure my English major had some help in that, but yes, there's some PTSD there for sure. My major was elementary education, so I never heard about how little money I was going to make. That was (laughs) never a conversation. And so I definitely get it. But one of the things I look at the career path that I thought I'd have and the one I'm guessing that you thought you'd have, we didn't think that we'd be here. So I think that I'm one who completely agrees with the idea that you should find a job where you're happy. Again, the other book about the retirement remix is being happy at work and not being in a position where you're slogging through a job that you hate all day for 35 years. But I do think that it's worth the conversation or worth being thoughtful by the part of the family that we're talking about the passions of an 18 year old. And so Don't feel like you have to go too far down that road 
unless again, you know exactly where you're going. But again, I thought, and I do, I loved kids. I loved teaching kids. I hated discipline and all the things that are associated with that. And sometimes you don't know until you don't know. And the process of following your passions, I think, for me at least, is get a degree in what you want to, but be mindful of the fact that the follow your passions, that your passions can change over time. And so be careful going too far down one specific road too young, unless you're 100% committed. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. And the thing about the English degree that I think helped me work that into what I'm doing now or what I chose to do after is because it's general enough in the areas of study that a lot of the different things I'm going to learn, I can apply to many different professions afterwards. And so that was something that I think certainly helped, but I totally agree with that. Unless you know you're better off getting something general that you can apply everywhere rather than something super specific that only applies in one area. Yeah, and that may seem counterintuitive to some people. Again, just food for thought. One of the things I knew, again, I thought, John, I'd been very specific. I could only teach between first and eighth grade, but I knew that I would have a job. So there seemed like there was some security in that. But 13 months after graduation, I was a financial advisor. So it's one of those things that can change in the blink of an eye. But one of the things that it seems like, John, in looking at the data that hasn't changed, or at least not a lot, is how people have paid for college. So you had things like credit cards, they worked longer. Some people, this is not at all advice, some people remove money from their retirement accounts. But an interesting thing, John, that didn't seem to change much, but when it did, it changed in potentially, I guess, maybe a positive direction, is that two-thirds of the people who did it said they'd do it again. And a third would actually do more. So I thought that was really interesting. I think that it certainly bodes well in making that case that you should do it because the people who've done it felt like it helped them. And I think it's interesting that this survey looked at folks that were in the initial stages starting to go through the process. And then it also looked at folks as they came out of the process. And like you said, I mean, you know, if you're willing to make a sacrifice for your children, most of them would say they'd do it again and they would contribute more if it meant that their children could have the freedom to do something that they were passionate about or would be able to do something without the constraints or burden of having student debt. And the flip side of that is, and another thing that the survey looked at is, if you're a student or a child of a parent who you can actually see making sacrifices, working longer, taking out debt, having to change the household expenses in order to fit in the new expense of having you go to school, sometimes you might look at that as something that somebody else is making a sacrifice for you and it might cause feelings of guilt. And so, you know, one of the things the survey looked at is what were the psychological impacts of this on the students going to school? And the result of that is that most of the students saw themselves as trying to make sacrifices of their own in order to kind of offset the sacrifices that their parents were making. And some of those sacrifices would be in buying used textbooks, 
getting jobs while they're in school to offset some of the living expenses, skipping out on some social activities and maybe studying harder so that they could get better grades and get through school sooner, maybe not have to go to summer school like I did, or even starting their own business or a side hustle while they're in school to help out with those expenses as well. And so I think it's important to look at both sides the parent that makes the sacrifice as well as the student that might make the sacrifice as well to kind of get through it and get on the right side of their life once they're finished with school. It's interesting because while we look at all of those things, another thing or another area that it touched on in the survey had to do with how important the starting salary was for the job that the student was expecting. And according to the survey, less than 5% of both the students and the parents ranked starting salary as important. I thought that that was interesting because here you are making sacrifices. And again, this isn't a judgment. I just find people interesting. (laughs) You're making sacrifices. You're doing all these things. You've saved up. If you're the kid, you're buying used textbooks and getting a job and doing all those things. And I find it interesting that despite all that, Less than 5% of the people think that the starting salary is important because it, it means, and this is neither good nor bad, it just is, that they aren't strictly focused, at least in the short term, on the return on investment on the education. Would you agree? Yes, they're leaving that out. And I think one of the things that you and I, when we do our jobs as financial advisors, we're always looking at the return on investment of whatever we're putting our clients' money into. And to me, it's no different. You might not be investing in a physical asset that goes up over time, but all of these things that you're spending this money on, I mean, it's an investment in human capital and their ability to make use of that education later on in life. And so I think maybe the starting salary and the initial job you get right out of college isn't all that important, but you have to have an eye for the future and an eye on, okay, we're paying all this money to go to Wake Forest. Like you said, Scott Mitchell and his folks. And I mean, that's a very expensive school, even in state. So I can't imagine what that would be like out of state. But it's always important to consider what you get out of all the money that you're putting into the funnel. And so, yeah, so I think if there's any way that we can enlighten our clients on what to focus on while they're paying for these things, that's in everybody's best interest. And then despite the fact that nobody's really focusing on the return of investment over time, Parents are very involved in choosing the school that their children go to. And I think you and I talked one of these shows about indoctrinating your children early on into the colors of orange and that they've all got orange sweatshirts and they all know about a certain school. And it's the same thing in my family with Chapel Hill. And we're trying to influence that decision every way we can. And I think over time, we may see that shift. Maybe baby boomers are more likely to let the student decide, as maybe my parents did. They had an idea, but ultimately the decision was mine. Maybe younger parents these days are more likely to be more involved and less likely to let the student decide. You've got two high school seniors. How involved are you and Trish going to be in deciding where they go to school? So we have two college seniors. We have one high school senior. That's okay. That's what I mean. Well, either way, I've been through three high school senior years counting this one. And I will tell you that most of our influence, it was early, right? And so for mine over the years, there hasn't been a whole lot of question. 
I have encouraged them unsuccessfully to at least maybe tour another college, kind of just in case. <laughs> so it started early, but I will tell you that for me, if Hampton, who's a high school senior, wanted to go to a different school, I think I've told you, my dad went to Carolina, South Carolina. My granddad went to South Carolina. And then I wanted to go to Clemson. So my dad wouldn't write university on the check. He only wrote the checks to Clemson. He refused to acknowledge it, but he let me go with a lot of prodding from my mom. So thanks, mom, for that, because that was probably all her. But it's one of those things that I would want to do that to let them have some input because that's what my parents did for me. But I have tried to structure things over 18 years, 20 years, so that my open-mindedness was not expensive when it was all said and done. So (laughs) I think that's a big part of it. But I do think, too, that the more the education costs and the more of the responsibility as a parent or grandparent that you're taking on, it seems like, based on the study, the choice is coming towards the parent from the kid. It used to be with baby boomers, they were more likely to allow the kid to have more choice. I think part of that, John's a function of cost. At some point, whereas a lot of young people are interested in quality of life, a lot of the Gen X parents are also considering the cost. And I think they're probably starting to, whether they call it return on investment or not, I think they're starting to be more mindful of that. Yeah, I agree. A lot leads up to education in the lower school, you know, leading up to high school, leading up to the college decision. And it's interesting what gets children from point A to point B, point A being preschool, kindergarten, and point B being going off to college. And then um, I guess point C would be entering the workforce. But all of the way along, I think we're starting to learn that the more involvement the parents have at a younger age is better for the student. That's certainly intuitive. I don't think that anybody would look at that stat and think otherwise. But over time, studies have shown that the more parental involvement there is, it yields higher grades, higher attendance rate, and more likely to continue education after high school. And I also think the point of the survey is that parental involvement in their children's education after high school graduation also yields higher grades, higher attendance rates after high school as well. And so I think that's maybe different from the mindset of a parent in that once the kids are out of the house, you basically wash your hands and you're done. You've hoped you've done your best. And I think the point here is that a parent's work is never done. And the more involvement you have, even if they're not living with you, the better the results can be. You know, if you have two college seniors, I think you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Well, and a step further than that, you know, I asked my mom one time, when does the work slow down? And her answer was, I'm not sure yet, but I can tell you it's at least 45. (laughs) And in this case, kind of in this context, I think that it's important for a family. And in this case, we're talking to the parents, right? Parents and grandparents is to have a plan because it's not all about the money. I I don't think either of us, uh, you know, again, I have uh, all ideas that at least three of the four of our boys will go to four-year college by their choice. 
and the reason I say three out of four is there's a chance that my 14 year old may decide to go take one of those Google certificate degrees into coding and all that stuff. And now they've got those direct to work programs. So there's at least in theory, he's young enough that that could be a thing by then, but it's not all about the money while we've talked a lot about that. But I, I think that the other part, if we really want to get our money's worth first is to talk about lifetime value of a career or occupation along with happiness, lifetime value versus starting salary. And I think the other thing is what are the things during this period of time as a parent or grandparent, do I want my child to, or my young person to learn college for a lot of people is not just about the 20 hours a week that they're in class. It's a transition towards adulthood for a lot of families. And so the question becomes, what are we going to teach our kid during this period of time? And, and there are so many life lessons, John, that you learn in college. And I think that young people learn even more if we're intentional and we kind of plan to have that be built into you know, we talked about budgeting. We talked about whether or not they want to get a job, managing their time. There are a lot of things that then translate directly to career and workforce that I believe that period of time is a incubator for. So I think that that's, again, getting outside of the financial ramifications. There are other things that if we plan properly, kind of holistically, that we can use that time for to increase our, again, return on investment, not just from a financial standpoint. There were lots of times in college that I can think back to, and there were some real life lessons there that have lasted with me today as far as talking to people and social interaction and how to approach somebody and partner with them to accomplish a common goal, that kind of thing. And you do a little bit of that in high school, but when you're on your own, you're out of the house, you don't have that kind of safety net of going home with your parents at the end of the day. And, you know, you're living independently. There's a lot there to learn and a lot that you can carry with you later on in life. And so it's certainly important to get as good of a start as you can when you go off to college. And in some ways, parents can help with that, you know, one-on-one -on -one talks, having the parents participate in school activities, be a learning role model, you know, show your children that you're willing. And this is frustrating for me, even when Turner's in the second grade going into the third grade, I figured out this past year that I had to relearn math in order to help him with his homework. But maybe if I can show him that things are still difficult for me to learn in my mid-40s, It'll give him some encouragement to keep learning things and relearning things in the second, third, and fourth grade. Of course, as they get older, it is important to show them that there is a balance between your work life and the part of your life that you spend having fun. And I think you and I both try to do that with our kids. I don't know if our parents necessarily tried as hard to do that as we have, but maybe we have things a little bit better than our parents did. You never know. And a lot of that depends right on how you look at it. I had the benefit of having a mom that was an elementary ed teacher. So it's no wonder how I ended up there. And she had most of the summer off. So what we may do differently now in terms of maybe travel or some of those kinds of things that I wouldn't have done as a young person, again, talking about the trade-offs between careers, I don't have the summer off. 
And so now in reality, when I was a school teacher, the one summer I did have off, I spent working a second job. So right. just putting that out there, but there are differences. My childhood was definitely different than my kids. But a part of that honestly was because my mom made a decision to have a career where during the summer we could do stuff with her, whether it costs money or not. And so, you know, it's interesting. I want to touch on one last thing, John, you mentioned parental involvement and how important that is with young people. Just want to make sure that anybody who's listening knows my brother and sister-in-law are both college professors. And at the point where kids go to college, that is the appropriate time to no longer attend. You can attend school functions like football games and parents weekends, but probably not trying to schedule a parent-teacher conference. I know that there are some folks that have tried to extend that into the college realm. Professors don't do that, so that's not going to be a thing. One other thing, John, I want to mention that wasn't on our outline. As we wrap up, we'll talk about how this applies to your signature life plan, but one of the ways it's unexpected for a lot of people is we're used to being able to call and get medical information on our kids. And one of the things that I have found is as kids go to college, they are now over 18. They are adults. People won't give you their information just because you're their mom or dad, particularly if they're out of town. And so it's worth having a conversation with your financial advisor about whether or not having some form of limited power of attorney is in a lot of cases, something that a lot of people don't think about, but you certainly do in the times when not to suggest our listeners are spying on their kids because colleges won't give you their financial information or their grades either. And as frustrating for some people as that might be, because they have kind of that, I paid the bill mentality as bad as that is, it's much worse if they had some sort of medical issue and you can't get information. So th that's one of the things that we suggest a lot of times that parents do planning wise, John, before, or as kids are, are going to college so that they have the ability to get that kind of sensitive information. What are some other ways, kind of as we're winding down, that all of this stuff that we've been talking about for the last few weeks plays into your signature life plan? That was a great point right there. I'm glad you went off script and brought that up because I think that's an important point. But when you're looking through your signature life plan and you're trying to figure out, let's say you're a parent trying to figure out your budget and how much longer after college graduation that you need to include some of your children's expenses in the budget, how extended might that be? Or if you're a student preparing to enter the workforce, trying to figure out how your new income is going to work with your new set of expenses, those are all things that we help our clients plan for. And we plan for the parents, just like we would plan for their children. And a lot of times, helping both sets of people budget can help the other one figure out how to make everything work. And so as we're going through this, if you're thinking about it ahead of time, sometimes it's good to have kind of a family planning session where we meet as a group and then a session where we meet individually with the parents and the students by themselves to kind of figure out how best we can make everything work together. And so it's kind of a group effort, but I don't think that's a surprise to anybody that's worked with us in the past. I think that that group effort and that family meeting structure I've found to be effective regardless of the age. As soon as the child, the young person is 
of age that they can understand and participate in the conversation. But honestly, right on through someday when my kids would have to talk to me. So if we need to talk to our parents or our kids need to talk to us, that holistic, again, kind of a legacy plan across generations, it really can help people over time take care of themselves and understand their overall situation better. And I I think that's a big thing for me. So John, any other things that we want to make sure we get included? I think all the things we talked about today are good nuggets to consider. And I think if there are any additional questions, anything we didn't talk about today, you know how to find us. You can call us at our offices. You can email us. You can text us. You can call us on our cell phones, whatever it is, and we'll be there to help. The last thing, John, that I would say is plans change. You know, I can remember four or five years ago, I wrote an article. Uh, it's probably on our Signature Wealth blog somewhere called Don't Let Your Boomerang Kid Ruin Your Retirement. So that was certainly not my plan, but one of mine has already said, hey, I think I'd like to come and live at home for six months after I graduate to kind of get my stuff together. And, and so it's one of those things that I had not planned on that. Quite frankly, I remember wanting to not move back in with my parents when I was that age, but it wasn't something that I had planned for, but it certainly is something that I'd be open to. But I think that, and again, part of what I talked about, as I recall in that article was what you said, have a duration that is going to last, have a plan for the plan. You just want to make sure everybody's operating from the same set of expectations early on. Find that mill application and set it on the counter. I'm sure you've got a copy out of it somewhere. I've got some real old school (laughs) stuff in my bag of tricks. You can rest assured of that. See you again next week, brother. Yes, sir. There we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to SignatureWealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.